Hey, good morning. So we're talking about relational well-being today. And I'm sure you'd agree that we, we live in a moment in time where connecting with other people has become more convenient than it ever has been. Just in my lifetime, think of how in 30 years technology has advanced at such that I can pull out my phone from my pocket and within a matter of seconds connect and see the face, have conversation with someone on the other side of the planet. I mean, it's incredible. You can tune in and interact with your favorite celebrity on their Insta Live story with thousands of other people. You can follow and be followed by hundreds of people on social media platforms. Many of us watching today will be sharing daily about things, events and experiences that are happening in our lives. There's something inside us, isn't there, that, that yearns and longs for connection with other people, wants to, to share the things that we're experiencing, and have affirmation from other people, and be part of community. Even if you're the most reserved and quiet person, all it takes is a bout of snow, and there are hundreds and thousands of pictures popping up on everyone's Facebook. Um, we love to share life with those around us. And I don't know about you, but I'm feeling the, the pinch of not being in contact with my family, friends, missing being in your company, and very much looking forward to the day where we can meet together again and, and um, connect in that way. So where does that desire come from? Where does this desire for connection come from? Well, the Bible tells us that we were designed that way. We read in Genesis 2 that Adam conversed with God. He worked with God to, to name the living creatures that God brought before him. We see something here of this God-man relationship. You know, I often wonder if the first thing Adam saw when he opened his eyes was the face of God after having breathed the breath of life into his nostrils. The God-man relationship. Let's, let's call this our, our vertical connection. Did you know that God's design for your flourishing involves knowing him in a very personal way. When Jesus comes on the scene later on, pronouncing that the coming kingdom of God, he makes this incredible, this remarkable statement in his prayer to the Father as he prays for his disciples. In John 17, and, and he says this, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the Father, the only true God and Jesus Christ who you've sent. Contrary to the, the idea that eternal life begins at the moment when we die, Jesus invites us into a, a living relationship with the Father, eternal life here in the present. To be fully alive and flourishing means to know and be connected to the source of life itself, to know God, to walk with him, to trust him, to grow with him in this dynamic living relationship. And just a few verses later in, in Genesis, that even though God was with Adam, we read that God says amazingly that it's not good for man to be alone. He creates Eve to be his companion and places them in the garden paradise that he's created for them. Here we see something of the man-woman relationship. And again, just a few verses later, we see something of God's intention for family, and, and as the story unfolds, we see relationships between brothers, sisters, between parents, family, friends, acquaintances, travelers, co-workers and strangers. 
each having been devastatingly shattered by defiance to God. Let's call these our, our horizontal connections. Did you know today that God's plan for your flourishing and well-being involves meaningful connections with other people? Now, I don't know if you've ever read The Hobbit by Tolkien, uh, or maybe you've seen the films that uh, came out a few years ago, but there's this great, great scene uh, in the opening chapter where, where Bilbo Baggins, a hobbit, the main character, is invited by Gandalf the Grey, the wise wizard, to share an adventure. To which Bilbo responds, We are plain, quiet folk and have no use for adventures. Nasty, disturbing, uncomfortable things make you late for dinner. Gandalf, of course, doesn't take no for an answer. Uh, and just a few pages later, there's a knock at the door and in comes a rabble of noisy, messy, smelly dwarves. The film captures really well, I think, in the following scenes how, how Bilbo feels the frustration of having his quiet and orderly life rudely interrupted, and yet at the same time is, is somewhat warmed by the camaraderie and thrill of sharing an adventure. He wakes the following morning to an empty house. Up jumped Bilbo, putting on his dressing gown, went into the dining room. There he saw nobody but all the signs of a large and hurried breakfast. There was a fearful mess in the room and piles of unwashed crocks in the kitchen. Nearly every pot and pan he possessed seemed to have been used. Indeed, he was really relieved, after all, to think that they had gone without him. And yet, in a way, he could not help just feeling a trifle disappointed. <laughs> There's something in us too, isn't there? No matter how reserved we are, that longs to share an adventure, to connect with other people in a meaningful way around a common cause. Why do we find this so difficult? Why is it that in a time where we can communicate more efficiently than ever before, that we feel most lonely? Why do we find it hard to connect with others in a way that brings life and flourishing? Why is it that at times in the church we, we struggle to have meaningful, real and vulnerable conversations with each other? So in our time this morning, I'd like to just share two reasons with you that are squeezing the life out of God's design for our relational well-being. Culture. Have you noticed how much choice there is available to us today when you go to purchase an item? I literally spent about 10 minutes in Tesco's the other day, standing there in the fruit and veg aisle, trying to decide what apples I should buy. I'm sure there's about 13,000 varieties of apples to choose from. I'm sure there was a time when the only milk you could buy was milk. Today, whole, skimmed, semi-skimmed. Don't fancy any of those? How about organic milk? Or soya milk? Or coconut milk? Or almond milk? Literally, the choices for any given product are so overwhelmingly high, staggers the imagination. You're certainly sure to find something, in the end at least, that suits and fits your nuanced preferences. If you fancy doing a bit of online shopping, well, it only takes a few minutes before ads begin popping up based on your browsing history to find something suited to your tastes. Everything is, is centered around our 
shopping experience, our personalised, individualistic experience, our convenience and our preference. Now, of course, preferences aren't wrong. They're, they're part of, uh, of what makes us unique as individuals. The problem is, is when we apply that principle to our relationships, our connections with other people, and we, we elevate our preferences to the most supreme, the place of supreme importance, when we do that, we miss something of God's heart for our flourishing and his best in our lives. When we do that in relationships, we end up becoming disillusioned and frustrated. The way of Jesus was and still is countercultural. He did not come to, to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. It's more blessed to, to give than to receive. In Philippians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or empty pride, but in humility consider others of more important than yourselves. This is something of the, the topsy-turvy, countercultural, upside-down way of Jesus. It's the design of God for our flourishing. Now the drive of our secular culture goes way beyond elevating our preferences. The prevalent and powerful message of our day, and, and our young people will feel this the most, I believe, is that I am the God of my own life. I can be whoever I want to be. I, I can choose my identity. I can choose my sexuality and my gender. Whatever feels right for me is right for me. If it feels good, do it. If it's true for you, then it's true for you. You know, if we're not careful as, as followers of Jesus, we can end up trading in God's design for loving community and we can replace it for a, a me-centered version where what I think and what I feel is of supreme importance. When we elevate our preferences and our wants and what makes us feel good above, over and above sacrificial love and commitment and faithfulness to each other, then we're missing God's best. We end up in chaos. Commitment to each other must be stronger than preferences. My friends, if we're going to have any hope of standing in the way of such a powerful cultural drive, then we need to be rooted and grounded in another culture. We need to be deeply and radically formed by the Word of God. We need to saturate ourselves in it and allow the power of His Spirit to transform our thinking, reorder our priorities, our lives in the way of Jesus. We need to humble ourselves, allow Him to change us and shape us. Romans chapter 12. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. that You may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We are afraid. In the story of Elijah that we've been following over the last few weeks, we see that in the moment of a critical experience in his life, where he felt threatened and overwhelmed and insecure and afraid. He did what probably most of us had done at some point. He isolates himself. He dismisses his traveling companion, his servant who is likely his only friend at this point, and decides to go on alone. Now, of course, there, there's times where getting alone with God to refresh ourselves and pray is the right thing to do. Jesus modeled this 
often with due to lonely places to pray. But consider the contrast between Jesus and Elijah. When Elijah faced the threatenings of death, he flees the fringes of society, withdraws from the company of others. In Matthew, we read that when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, about to face betrayal, trial, torture, and the cross, he was overwhelmed with sorrow, and yet in that place, invited three of his closest friends to stand with him, to watch with him, to pray with him. And maybe like me, you've, you've followed the path of Elijah when facing fear and withdrawn from those meaningful connections around you. Maybe you've become absent to your spouse, your children. You may have become distant from your church family, choosing to, to stay on the fringes, not really putting yourself out there. You may have withdrawn from friendships or those closest to you. And fear can do this to us because it's almost always centered around our identity and our security. We don't open up because we're afraid of being misunderstood. We don't get involved because we're afraid we won't be liked. We, cho we choose not to give it a go because we're afraid we'll fail. We don't put ourselves out there because we're afraid we'll be let down. We don't invest in others because we're afraid of what it might cost us. And so we keep ourselves to ourselves, preferring perhaps like Bilbo Baggins to keep ourselves in the comfort and the security of our own preservation, our own bubble, where out there the adventure awaits. So how do we face such fears? How do we walk in the way of Jesus and launch out into the deep when we carry the wounds of our past experiences or the memories of genuine efforts crushed in disappointment. You know, we often recognize David as the courageous one facing the fearful Goliath, but we don't often think about the courage it took for him to bear with and wait for God's timing, not to take matters into his own hands when Saul, the one who was meant to be friend and king, is seeking to take his life. Or what about the courage to be vulnerable and open his heart in this relationship with Jonathan, this great close friendship? Or what about the courage of Jesus to, to wash the disciples' feet, knowing that he'd be abandoned and denied and betrayed? What is the antidote to that fear that keeps us from meaningful connections with others? What gives us the courage to be vulnerable, relational, servant-hearted, open, free, I want to read a portion of scripture to you. It's from 1 John chapter 4, verse 17. I'm going to read in the message version. It says this, God is love. When we take up permanent residence in a life of love, we live in God and God lives in us. This way, love has the run of the house, becomes at home and mature in us so that we're free of worry on judgment day. Our standing in the world is identical with Christ's. There is no room in love for fear. Well-formed love banishes fear, since fear is crippling. A fearful life, fear of death, fear of judgment, is one not yet fully formed in love. So how much space are you making in your life to love and be loved? I've found that the key to my confidence lies in the fact that I'm a beloved son, 
In those moments where I feel anxious or overwhelmed or insecure or afraid, it's not my own ability that gets me out. It's not confidence in my own strength. It's the fact that I'm loved by God. It's who I am in success or failure, in triumph or despair, I'm loved by God. He set his love upon me and that's a sure and steadfast place for me to turn. Without this inner confidence, we can easily withdraw from other people when we feel ignored or misunderstood or criticized. But instead, the love of God, it fortifies us, it grounds us. It's the only thing that can heal your heart, it shows us who we really are, and is a deep well of resource, of love, of compassion, patience, and grace for those people in our lives that at times are difficult to love. In John's account of, of the Last Supper, it says something brilliant about Jesus. It says that knowing where he had come from and knowing where he was going, he rose up from the meal, put a towel around his waist and knelt to wash the disciples' feet. Wow. <laughs> Allowing the love of God to show you who you really are, what you're really worth, is the key to loving and serving others in the sacrificial way of Jesus. For he was forgiven much, loves much. Tim Keller says, to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense and humbles us out of our self-righteousness fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. Hmm. It's not good for us to be alone. God has made a way for us through Jesus to know him. Where that connection was broken, it has now been restored. The veil has been torn and we have access to the Father again. And he calls us now to, to love others in that sacrificial way of Jesus. And so whose voice will you give most authority to in your life? Is it the current cultural drive, message, your preferences, your fears, what you think is right? Or will you trust in God's design for you today? <laughs> will you trust in him and his plan for your well-being? Will you listen to the one who truly understands you and knows you and loves you? Uh, I don't know, maybe you're in the red in your dial of relational well-being. Maybe you're not doing so well. Maybe you're struggling in your connections with, with other people and you're running on empty today. I want to tell you that there is hope. If you are trusting in Jesus, then you have his Holy Spirit. You have the counsellor, the guide, the comforter, the one who can lead you into all truth, living on the inside, the one who is for you, and for your flourishing is with you today. He's given us his word to shape us, form us and teach us. And for the believer, he's put you into this brilliant, brilliantly unique and yet imperfect family called the church, where our love for each other is meant to radiate something of the brilliance and wonder of God's love. And so I ask you, where are you today? How are you doing? Have you locked the doors and battened down the hatches? He calls you out. Are you hurting? He heals. 
Are you feeling insecure and afraid? He loves you. Are you afraid of stepping out into the unknown? He's for you. He's with you. Will you join me in this journey of walking with God and with each other? Relational well-being. Following God's design for our flourishing. We're going to be unpacking this in the days ahead as we do continue with our daily readings and discuss this in small groups. And I trust that you'll step out in faith now. Not to live on the fringes, not to withdraw and stay where it's safe and comfortable, but take that step of faith now into the unknown, to share an adventure, to be part of this brilliant story God has called us on. His heart is for your well-being. His heart is for your relational well-being. So I trust that you'll really be blessed this week as you commit to stepping out. So may God bless you.